Hey, it's Andrew, the director of Literary Arts. Here at Literary Arts, we rely on our community, people like you, for support. To help make this podcast and all our programming possible, give today. Literary-arts.org forward slash donate. Welcome to the Archive Project. I'm your host this week, Amanda Bullock. The Archive Project is a retrospective of some of the most engaging talks from the world's best writers for more than 35 years of literary arts in Portland. This week, we are sharing a conversation from the 2022 Portland Book Festival. Actress Selma Blair discusses her debut memoir, Mean Baby, with Esme Weijun Wong, author of the novel, The Border of Paradise, and the best-selling essay collection, The Collected Schizophrenias. March is National Disability Awareness Month. Much of Selma's memoir describes her life with a litany of symptoms that were diagnosed as the autoimmune disorder multiple sclerosis, or MS, in 2018, when Blair was in her 40s. She has since emerged as an advocate for disability awareness and inclusion. Blair told Variety that, after her diagnosis, quote, I started thinking more about the power of storytelling and why representation in media matters. If I had seen and heard from people who were like me, maybe I wouldn't have felt so alone. Perhaps if I'd had more diverse representation to look up to, I would have learned about my diagnosis earlier on. Selma and Esme talk about the importance and comfort of seeing other people's stories, from social media to books and movies. As Selma says, it's the little stories that are actually the big stories that shape your life. In telling her own story in her book, Mean Baby, Selma also reaches a new self-understanding through the process of writing and sharing. It's a wonderful conversation, full of insight, honesty, and humor. A note that you'll hear Wong and Blair reference Scout, who is Blair's service dog, who joined them on stage and, it sounds like, stole the show a little bit. We'll join Selma Blair and Esme Weijin Wong at Portland Book Festival 2022. This is Scout. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, now there, now I can read the room. I'm like, oh, good. Easy Scout is a good boy. Okay. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I think we're just going to have a chat, yeah? Yes. Okay. So uh, my first question is, this has been a huge year for you in a number of ways. You've got an award-winning documentary. You're on Dancing with the Stars, and you have this amazing <laughs> book. Yes, very much so. Um, her fans and admirers, including myself, have been, it's been really exciting to see all of this stuff happen. And so I was just wondering, how does it feel to have so much attention on you at this moment, and how does it compare to when you were a young actor? Gosh, it's like a second life, or ninth, or tenth. I mean, I feel like I've had so many incarnations as I hopefully evolve or devolve sometimes. <laughs> um, but it has been incredible because as I shifted um, my perspective with a diagnosis, and the diagnosis helped me feel much more grounded actually to other people because I was always searching for information mm -hmm. and not not really finding it um, but it has been amazing how much people have embraced for lack of a better word uh, vulnerability or you know trying to be honest trying to you know trying to try all these different things and include people in my life and it has made it so incredible I mean, I'm so humbled. I've worked so hard in my life, and finally, when things are kind of coming more easily, and I'm creating and doing things and meeting incredible people, and it, 
it does when things come into alignment. It's a little bit more effortless, even mm. if there's more, you know, work or whatever. Um, not or whatever. I'm, does anyone have a thesaurus? <laughs> whatever. Find a million. But yeah, it's been it's been incredible. Things I never thought I'd do, and a lot of that. I mean, that was really getting to speak a little bit of peace in 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 the book, in the memoir, and. Yeah, I'm, I'm humbled. I, you mentioned something which was that um, getting a diagnosis was helpful for you. Like, I personally felt like getting a diagnosis, it just helps you feel like you're not pioneering an inexplicable experience, and you have like something to, to, look, to look to. But in the book, you very much talk about how it took years to get a diagnosis for multiple sclerosis. Yeah, can you talk about the, that? Yeah, well the first chapter of your book, I'm going to Esme's book for a second, <laughs> just a second, trust me. No, but I, in the first chapter, you know, diagnosis and your, Esme wrote this book. Um, <laughs> that's an essay, you know, the collected schizophrenia. And it was, you were really a grounding force for me because you were one of the first people that spoke so plainly about something that has a stigma for a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know? And so I had a stigma my whole life. I was always called, and this is not my word, but people at school, I was very popular, but also crazy. Mm -hmm. Everyone said that, oh, Blair, oh, she's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. She's crazy. But it, it really, they really felt it. Like there was something weird or unstable or dangerous or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever people associate with crazy it was just put 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 on me like it's some like I'm some big scary thing and um and it was really because I was tired and my movement stuff would go in and out even as a kid so it looks like I'm like malingering like trying to get attention for something and and uh I never never ever considered it was neurological I always kept although everything's neurological as I'm realizing now in books like yours and how much the, the brain body is mm -hmm. what there is. And I couldn't get a diagnosis, maybe. I mean, I went to neurologists. I had, um, you know, optical neuritis twice diagnosed as a kid, and no one thought to give me an MRI. They're like, oh, that's weird. Must be like a medicine she's on or something. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. I was put on a lot of drugs as a kid, like antipsychotics and antidepressants and tricyclics and lithium without ever getting either a diagnosis of anything other than depression. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I just felt like a total gray area. Mm -hmm. And so my life was a gray area. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, you know, it, it surprised, like your diagnosis even, it felt like even something you kind of had to kind of say. Oh, yeah, like you're writing letters to your doctor, <laughs> like I'm experiencing <laughs> things that are really otherworldly and I'm not trusting this world. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, I don't know, it's like, why wouldn't anyone give me an MRI? Yeah. Why was there this refusal to yes. say, oh, she's just histrionic. Yeah. But yet a man, no offense to men who I love, I'm not trying, but a man can go into an emergency room and say, I have a headache. I've been saying I have a headache for years. I don't have one now. But I, I have a headache, I, you know, and it's like, mm, mental, right? Mental, you have to, a guy goes in with a headache, it's like, get him an MRI. Get, get them an MRI, you know, and they're diagnosed right away it, in the experiences I've actually had in my life. and it blows my mind how much I didn't even know myself. I don't have a vocabulary still mm -hmm. for things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's why it's so huge to me that people like you and 
even me, you know, we just write books about our experiences. We write the books we'd want to read. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go fully into, fully into multiple sclerosis or even fully into like mental stuff with me, but it was always part of my story. It was always kind of lingering, like, oh, and by the way, you know, I'm sick today again, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't understand, like, how do people get through life? Yeah, well. That's what I, that's what I've really thought. And now that I understand, oh, I'm just someone that has a little something extra. So much easier, like it unburdened me. Mm, amazing. Like you, you were just saying, like, how do people get through life? But I think about that all the time. And so I feel like um, you were a lot of things. Um, but one thing that I kept thinking about when I was reading the book was that you were a survivor. And I don't mean that in the way that we tend to use it to replace like victim or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've actually survived a lot of things. And so a question I have for you is, how do you keep going? Like when things are really hard, like what, how do you keep going like day after day? I do, I look to other people's stories. I do, I read, I mean, thank God in ways for social media. That's how I found you, or discovering like, wait, how did we start connecting? But you've been behind the scenes, a huge force in my life. It's the people that I see, okay, they're doing it. What do they do? Does Esme light a candle when she's, like I really think of very simple things, like, cause I don't know how to behave sometimes. Yeah. Apparently, I mean it happened. You'll, you might see, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, I used alcohol my whole life, mm -hmm. really from the age of seven, and it helped me stay alive because I was so totally lost. Until then, it started killing me. As you know, it just breaks things apart if you're really, you know, addicted to that uh, cushion in life. But I now, I have huge gratitude. But I think now I just, I realize one, I don't drink. Two. I will write now again. I have a lifetime of journals, but every single one said the same thing. I'm fat, I'm ugly, I don't feel well. Why can't I go back to bed? You know, it, and it was just so boring. It was so, just every day. And I don't know what I do now other than just breathe and, and if, I, if I'm just, too, I just cry. I cry. I cry in front of people now. I cry. I mean, I have pseudobulbar affect too, which probably a lot of people actually have. But, you know, I, I cry. I laugh. I'm probably inappropriate. I don't know how I will live. I think of the what ifs. What if my son, something happens to him? Would I survive? Would I have a friend whose son just died inexplicably from the kind of same issue my son has? So it's not really inexplicable. There's an issue. But I'm like, oh God, that's a reality. And like, of course it could happen to me, why not? Like, I'm a person, things yeah. happen, we all die, we all suffer, we all have extreme joy, elation, whatever, you know, there's the gamut. And now I just go, well, this is the experience, this is the classroom, mm -hmm. I'm here, I'll show up until exam time, and then see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I was Very always like so, ready to get yeah. off this earth, but yet there's things I love dearly and it breaks my heart that we leave this earth. Yeah. I, it's funny that you said that you look to people, other people, because for certain I look to you, or I think about like these social media posts that you've made where it's very clear that you're in a lot of pain or discomfort or mm -hmm. distress, and I think about that when I'm in a lot of discomfort or right. distress. And it's interesting to think about this like network of sick people who are looking to each other. It makes me feel happy, other. not that I want people to feel ill, but it is a comfort. I mean, that's why I've loved books from my earliest days. I mean, what they taught me, like learning ballet in my basement, really a layman's term, but like I'd learn it from a book, you know, how people do it, because my mom couldn't take me to lessons. But now I do. I mean, I'll look at your, 
your Instagram or the books, um, always. I mean, I learned how to drink from a book. You know, the, you know, the secret, the secret like after school movie book. Right? I mean, you talk about like. After school special movie. Yeah, like, I what's mean, wrong with Sarah? She's drunk. And, and you then, learned like. And uh, I'm like, that sounds like an adventure. Like yes. I, read, it's, I read that book at like, I, I got really, really drunk not knowing. You know, when I was young, it was at a Passover Seder and the kids are allowed little goblets. This is a major thing in the book. A major yeah, element, but it yeah. was, it was the revelation of my life until the diagnosis when I was like, ooh, the world isn't what I thought. Because mm -hmm. I really just say, like I'm undiagnosed crazy, which is, you know, not a word I try to use anymore because it's ridiculous. But I... I just thought, well, this is it. I'm just like emotionally a wreck and I'm manifesting all these physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. And But when I got drunk for the first time at seven at a Passover Seder, and it went in my diary the next day. Um, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm hungover. No, it was like, <laughs> no, it was, it, was, uh, it was a big moment because I was like, oh, it's not God at these Seders mm. that's making me feel warm and gooey. <laughs> it's this. Yeah. And I was like more pleased. Yeah. And I kept going, and you're too young to have a hangover, so there's no real drawback other mm. than I like a grown woman in Virginia, like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, I acted like at seven. Like yeah. holding on to the man, like, don't leave, don't leave, come to bed with me. It was like, oh my God, such foreshadowing. But um, <laughs> we tell people who we are right at the first meeting. <laughs> and at seven, I was like, this is who I might be by accident. But it was, it was the book. It was a book that I read. I was always by myself, really a loner, and, and books were my friends. And I read that What's Wrong with Sarah. And she did, hor you know, she got drunk, the watermelon, the straw, the vodka, the friends. But, and then she killed a horse at the end because she was drunk. And that was supposed to be the warning. And all I saw was like, she had fun, she had a horse. <laughs> she had always Like she killed the horse, but it doesn't yeah. matter. We all died. Like I did, and I yeah. was like, I shut it. I remember I was on the living room floor and I'm like, this is the answer. And my parents have like all this booze in a cabinet by the poker chips. And you know, and I was like, and so that was it. So like I took a glug, you know, and, and that's what I would do to comfort myself my whole life. I was like, like a priest, I didn't know. It was like secret. Like, ooh, sorry, Mrs. Tisdale, one sec. And then I'd go and have a shot of Tanqueray in the bathroom when I was like nine mm -hmm. and go back to class. So I don't know how I get by now. I have a sober women's group, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, it's finding things that are real and yeah. that are here. Yeah, I mean, you also talk about learning like an eating disorder from a book and talking about like the power of books and it's interesting to think about how they influence, influence us and it's, it's I mean it's such a these, direct yeah. line of thoughts it's such an incredible thing when you find a passage in a book and it's like yeah we're the same we're the same yeah they get you know they get the shadow like even <laughs> when got yes. excited about that he's like we're the same but you know when your Instagram posts like everything I'm like I have that dream too <laughs> do I have another diagnosis no I don't yeah. but you're like no everyone has that kind of dream so yeah. like people have that <laughs> but like I don't know I ask yeah. people all the time I don't have a point of reference because I've created kind of a different reality in my lonerness mm -hmm. not like something dangerous reality I think mm -hmm. but just yeah, I sure. don't really know, and I always yeah. check in with other people, like, is this normal? Do yeah. these people rehearse this much? Do these people drink this much water? Do you, like, I have yeah. no, I don't know how to be a human, even though I clearly am. I don't have a lot of confidence in that, mm. like what people do. So I'll be, 
imitating you for the next two days. <laughs> I pick up people's habits. So books can be so you know, influential and so suggestive. Because you talk a lot about books in your book, but also just, I think, in, you know, on social media, in interviews, you talk about books. And it's very clear that you have a great love of them and you love literature. So I was wondering what books did you look to or turn to as you were working on Mean Baby? As I, you know, it was very, this was horrible. Horrible by my book. No, just kidding. <laughs> this was, this was horrible because when I was writing Mean Baby, um, I had just done the stem cell transplant. I had a stem cell transplant a couple years ago, and it was like kind of a big thing that takes you down a bit, you know, until you build back up. And I, I did it to halt the progression of a really, you know, aggressive, a long, long-term flare of MS. And I couldn't see well the whole time I was writing mm. the book, and I couldn't really talk well yet. Like whenever I'd come against something that caused like some anxiety or processing, my voice mm -hmm. kind of like does, the, you know, it's like hiccups. I can't control it. It just comes. And I could, I can't, I still can't write on a keyboard. The push pull of my hands together um, causes spasticity. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh shit. I like finally get to write a book. I can't write a book. You know, and I didn't have a ghostwriter or anything. Um, so I wrote it on my iPhone. That's what I did too. Yeah! Yeah! Oh, oh, I did it for a oh, <laughs> 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 <was> like goodbye. <laughs> Sorry, I'm fine. I don't, yeah. He'll be alerting me to take my medicine soon. Cause <laughs> that's how he rolls with that. Um, <laughs> he's a show, he's a scene stealer. Um, you are a scene stealer. Hi. That's funny, so he wrote it on the iPad. Yeah. Or because Carrie Fisher and my mother both use legal pads, yellow legal pads oh, yeah. for everything. He's taking it all in. Um, so I viewed that as like the highest, the highest of intelligence. People that used a yellow legal pad and a felt mark. So I did do that. I could, after a while, write. It stopped with the, uh, I had the, like, my letters got really small, micrographia for a long time. And so my poor book agent, Brittany Bloom at the book room, she, I would write 10 pages, click, click, click with my iPhone, send her the yellow legal pad, and then she'd type it for me. She will never do that again. It was a very special circumstance. I'm not suggesting anyone that's lazy <laughs> go to Brittany Bloom for their agent, but it was amazing how much people banded together Yay. to help get something done in, a, in kind of a crisis of like, mm -hmm. I need, I want, I need, I have to, and I am not mm -hmm. capable in the ways I thought I would be to do this. Um, and I didn't, so I didn't read very much at that time because mm -hmm. I couldn't really read. Mm -hmm. Like, my eyes just couldn't get it. It's a brain eye thing. Like, there's no glasses I could put on that make that better when that happens. So it really was, like, the kindness of people helping me. But I didn't, I didn't read during that time because I was afraid I'd plagiarize. Uh, yeah. I was afraid I'd plagiarize someone else's memoir. That's how suggestible I am. <laughs> you know, like... Like, you're like, la, 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 this happened. <laughs> like, I was watching the Joan Didion documentary. I love Joan Didion. Who doesn't, I guess? Um, so I was watching that documentary um, that I really did love. And, you know, she's reading her words. <laughs> it wound up in my book. But not in the end. <laughs> we caught it. I was like, it is entirely possible to stay submerged too long. Because I was, like, in the bathtub, like, drowning one night, and I was writing about it. 
and hers was like, you know, when she left New York, she's like, it is entirely, you know, possible to stay, to, you know, to stay too long at the party. And, um, and I find I do that stuff, so I have to be careful. Um, so I didn't read mm -hmm. at the time, but everything really was, like there was, you know, the woman that, I stayed in a bunch of rehabs, um, not recently, but like in my life, and, and they'd always give me a stack of books, and one was, of course, what is her name, Jameson? No, the oh. definitive one on, like Bible. Bipolar, yeah, Kay Redfield Jameson. Right, right, right. Um, and I haven't read it in a long time, but I remember what an effect that had it's on me. It's called An Unquiet Mind. An Unquiet Mind. Yeah, it, that had a huge effect, and I find I like recall these things, but it really went back, this book was really told, like it was kind of my eight-year-old self going back, and just the big stories that I felt shaped me then, although they're very little stories, but it's, am it's amazing how the little things stick. Well, it's amazing, because as I was reading this, it really feels like you're being carried through your life, because there's so many, like you said, little stories, little elements, then you have this thread of like being a mean baby. Um, and I just, I do wonder, what is it like to have created something that causes you to have to look through, back through your whole life, and then you just made a documentary, which is also kind of like looking back through your life, um, and then what is it like to, to kind of look forward, having all of that? I know, I'm going to have you. to do a documentary again, <laughs> so I can continue my life in front of the camera, or else is it really living? Like, I kind of feel like everyone should write a memoir, and everyone should do a documentary, because it actually taught me more. Yeah. About like, other people. Oh, okay. Like it taught me because I'd actually talk to people yeah. and their responses. It was a shame we're in COVID and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. it was like, mm -hmm. you know, strange and that I'm writing a book when I couldn't like type well unless it was like very close. Um, I felt because I was, um, who knows, an actress, you know, that story was always going to be written by, you know, the Daily Mail or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, getting a coffee. That was going to be my biography. You know, people just read like, she got another coffee. Stars, they're just yeah. <laughs> she gets a coffee, and that would just be it. Or she had this meltdown on a plane. What a crazy, <laughs> you know. So it was like, how, how do I just tell this really simply? And I was very intimidated to write. I always wanted to write a book. How did you decide to just have yours as like essays for yeah. your? It's because it's it's a memoir in ways, but not at all. But yeah, it's. It's like, I mean, in, in the UK, it's sold as a memoir because yeah. they are not really into essay collections. So but they were like, we're, we have to market this as a memoir. It's the exact same book. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. No. I know, but, it's, it's, but yours is like much more highbrow. Like I'm like the eight-year-old eight version. Very, it's very good. Very good. It is very good. <laughs> it is very good. We're very, very good. It's very good but, book. But it is a very kind of innocent, like it has the letters to my mom. Like if you don't love me, my heart will shrivel up and die. Oh you know, gosh, things that my yeah. mom would be like, oh, yeah. so sentimental. Some. She's <laughs> very against sentimentality. Everything was either a joke or really mean. I loved her also, by yes. the way. I really yeah. loved her. She was amazing. She was a magistrate. She wrote on a yellow legal pad. May I? Do I need to say more? But she... Um, it was, it was a, everything in my life I feel was really charmed and also really horrible. Yeah. Really horrible. And, um, and I didn't want to live yeah. at all. I'm getting really off track, but I just feel I have to confess this to you. As I, no, just, but I, it was, it was really, um, I was so sad. So sad in my life. Every day was a suicide wish and I was embarrassed. And I was embarrassed because I had bladder problems and I didn't want to be found with dirty panties. 
like dead as a little kid. Like that's why I remember I didn't kill myself in the garage because it was like, oh, my underwear. Like everyone at school be talking about that I had like urine stains in my underwear from the Meridium, like the orange or whatever. So it was vanity that kept me from committing suicide, I guess. I mean, it's like the weird balance. It was, I was really horribly lonely, horribly afraid child, horribly. And a child really until my diagnosis almost. Mm. Even once I had my kid, I still felt like a child brain. Like, when is someone gonna, when is someone gonna fix this for me? Yeah. When is someone, and then as I'm writing it and doing the documentary, it's like, right, I'm a person. I am a person. Do you feel like a grown-up now? Are you I a do. Up? I yes. mean, I'm a bit, you know, of a, like a glitched grown-up. But absolutely, I did. I did grow into being a grown-up after mm-hmm. letting this go. Like, it was... They were, they were little stories I held on to so big mm-hmm. that, made me, that made the shame so great. And I can't say how... This wasn't meant to be like therapy. It was really meant to... I really wanted to write a book. I love writers. I want to become a writer. I am a writer, but I want, you know, this is my life. And to write a memoir was really scary, especially as a celebrity, because people would think, oh, God, this should just be fun, dishy stuff, or this is what happened, or this. And it's like, no, this isn't really a celebrity memoir. I have secrets of celebrities, and I'm not going to dare lose the two friends I have by telling their secrets that everyone would want to know. So it had to be about me. And it was... It was really daunting. I don't know how you're doing three and putting together a good outfit. <laughs> she, okay, so she does have very mom energy because she was very concerned all morning that I was cold I was so or that concerned. I would be cold. So she does have. Very I know. I'll put it in the next energy. book. I know. She's like, Asma's like, don't. You're so nice. You're like, you're so kind. But in the meantime, you're like, don't inflict this on me. No, you're cold. It's you're very cold. Sweet. I was like, I'm so nervous. Are you it's cold? So you, yeah. yeah. But, um, okay, so there are a couple of things I want to ask you based on what you said. And one is that you talk about your mom in this book. And your relationship with your mom is very beautiful, but also very complicated. And, you know, maybe not, like, the smoothest relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering, uh, for anybody who might be interested in writing about, oh, wow, there's an interesting book, writing about, uh, like, a person that they loved that was difficult or somebody in their life who maybe didn't behave as the person would have wished. Like, what do you tell them about, like, writing about those difficult... What would you tell them about writing about those difficult things? God, I... The love I have for my mother and the respect, the admiration, the missing her, she's dead, um, is so... is so massive um, that I just felt like everything would be colored with love, even Mm -hmm. if some of my... Mm -hmm. Even if some of the little stories I told seem harsh, or people mm-hmm. like, oh, your mom was abusive. I never thought of her as abusive, but even my sisters, my sister Lizzie is like, no, mom was really mm-hmm. <laughs> abusive. Like, people didn't, weren't raised like this with having people like show your A plus thing and isn't this amazing writing? And she's like, drivel. Get, maybe in second grade you can write something a little better, Selma. You know, like she was tough from the start. Um, but I don't know. I have a problem. I kind of had to wait till she was dead mm-hmm. to just even write basic things. She's so private. And I've had a falling out with another sister who won't ever talk to me, even though she, she just, there's nothing about her. You know, it, it's hard. I don't know. But then you just say, I'm, I'm writing, guys. This is my, this is my thing. Like, yeah. don't, don't buy it then. But it is, it's hard. Because that's why I didn't do, like, a celebrity memoir. Not yeah. that I wanted to. That wasn't, like, what I had, yeah. that wasn't the thing. But yeah, I don't want to write about other people because I really encroach. I'm not, um, I, I can't tell what's like off limits. 
that's like not an MS thing, that's just a character thing. Um, <laughs> like I really don't have like a proper boundary when I go in, so I'm nervous. I don't know, what do you do? But you have a, what do you do? Well, I, I think what you said about it being colored with love is really meaningful because I do feel like that is in the book. Like even when you're writing about very difficult things and so, I teach a class about uh, like ethics when you're writing personal nonfiction. So oh, like my students will. <laughs> now you tell my, me. My students often ask. <laughs> Way to bury the lead, Esme. We've known you for. Uh, yeah. Like what you know? Uh, what should I do if I want to write about this person that I love that's still in my life and like they're very difficult and you know and and so I go through like all these ways that you can write about somebody like that and the possible consequences. Like, as you said, yeah. you, you have a difficult relationship with, or a non-relationship with your sister now. Yeah. And so I think people need to recognize that there are consequences there are. to writing things. And you talked about you couldn't write this until your mom had died. And Jeanette McCurdy, who wrote an amazing book, oh, yes. published so it this year. That yeah, it's very that. good. Um, she, she also says in interviews, like, I couldn't write this until my mom died. I mean, it's in the title also, but like beyond that. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a lot uh, to be said for writing about someone after they can't read it anymore. Right. But I, and I have and another I have question, too. in the book, I mean, yeah. maybe I sh it's like kind of a yucky one to talk about, but there was a, you know, this, I, I went to a school I loved, loved a boarding school, mm -hmm. and Cranbrook Arts Academy, and it was incredible. And there was one person I was very close to, my mentor, um, my, you know, everything, and he was inappropriate with me, to say the least. And I had to keep that my secret. And, you know, and that, writing about that, I have to say, even though he was the predator, I was like, oh, I don't want the school to be affected negatively, because I love that school. I don't, he's so old now, like, I don't, want to bring this into, like you're protecting the person yeah, that yeah. did this. Like there's just things that are, I still don't, well one, you don't want a lawsuit. And two, you don't want to make people's lives hell, even yeah. if they made my life hell. Yeah. Um, but that is a thing as, as a writer that I think I'll be grappling with in my next books because this was a more loving one and kind of more looking at myself a little like, maybe mm -hmm. you didn't have all the facts, Selma, and you just, small world and my next books are more about you know like kind of choosing isolation because people like can be so f cruel sometimes not you <laughs> not you mm -mm. but not you, you. you're gonna have next books that's yes. that's like the, I mean, you know God what willing. i mean yeah. But yeah it is um yeah there's consequences i mean again look at matthew perry and keanu reeves have you, that, no one's that, read that. I like no, was reading I, I reviews on it. I know what you're talking about. He <laughs> said like, something mean. He just randomly <laughs> used Keanu Reeves as like a name. I have no idea if he knows him or anything, but he kind of used him as like this weird. He's like, line. why are people like Keith Ledger and, and, and River still Phoenix lives. died and Keanu Reeves is still alive? But also like River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves were really close friends. So yeah, it was weird, all just yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. But I'm like, that is something he put in a book that probably he had no idea that would hit like with the most beloved Keanu Reeves. He's like, oh, it's just like a famous guy. And I'm like, no, no, that's a, that's a real person that's alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, ooh, I guess, you know, in those quiet moments when you're writing, like, kind yeah, of think, gotta have or you Twitter, get... imaginary Twitter audience yeah. in the back of your mind. That actually happens to me now. Like, I have, like, Twitter in the back of my mind, like, critiquing everything oh. I'm writing. Oh, it's I would real, make a it's, move. It's a terrible way to live. I don't recommend it. Do you go uh, on Twitter? I used to be a really large Twitter user, and then, like, a month ago, I really just stepped away. God, Twitter but just seems like a lot of politics. It's a lot of politics. I went back in today. It's, like, all burning down because of Elon Musk. 
Um, I know, and then he sent a Wawa letter that was like <laughs> that I saw that was like, this is unfair. I didn't change a thing. I love it. I can't. Thanks yeah, for no, letting me talk about of, this in the space. Yeah, but it's, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's a book festival. I think Twitter is very salient to this. Yeah, Twitter. It's literally. Yeah, it's very. It's very much. <laughs> it's very much my next book. Um, so is it? It is. Yeah. Like. Oh, tell like, me more. We're just the stuff about being on Twitter or like having a, a partner, not my partner in real life. This is the protagonist partner who will like text her and say, "Why did you like that tweet by so and so?" Like, right. you know, just like that kind of I thing. Know. You know, or like, "Why did you retweet this thing?" Uh, you know. Anyway, so yeah, um, it's incredible how people really are looking. To, they are they not are. just like crazy jealous ex-boyfriends. <laughs> like people yeah. are looking to yes. see well, your likes and your friends yeah. and to take you down for it. Especially if you're a famous person or a celebrity, and I think that. <clears throat> Um, or I, I was just wondering, like, did you feel a pressure to, like, dish or, no, like, have, like, celebrity I, I, gossip? Thank God I had, a, like, a great, you know, publisher and my book agent that really loves books and didn't, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get a book deal to do, like, a celebrity, celebrity mm -hmm. memoir. I made that clear. And, and, and thank, thank God I had a crisis and, like, you know, had MS that people knew about and, like, it was like, oh, okay. It opened the door to like, oh, you should write a book, and I'm like, oh, thank you, because I've been <laughs> keeping journals yes. with, with five lines on it every entry. Um, but I, you know, I do. I have tons of journals. Yeah. You'd think I was like a major writer my whole life until you open it, and you're like, ooh, what's wrong with Selma? <laughs> I mean, nobody's. I mean, I was gonna say nobody's journals are really that publishable, but not. That's not necessarily. I true. bet yours are. No, I mean, not I mine. Seriously, um, but I do but, wonder. Did you go and look through your journals while you? Oh were writing my this? God! I looked through all my pictures in my journals and old I kept my college papers what was that like I to, like, kept go like all my that mother stuff? would even edit my journals like um <laughs> mm -hmm. it was such a but it's amazing if I were say Melissa Rivers on this stage right now and I talked about my mother as if she were Joan Rivers mm -hmm. you'd be like she's hysterical <laughs> if you're from the midwest and kind of complicated and sad you're like mm, abusive mom <laughs> it's like the same like Melissa and I have like similar stories she also wrote great books the lies my mother told me and a bunch of things about Melissa Rivers but it was really funny and and mine had I had so much sim, so many similar experiences but the, <laughs> the the outcome was different what did you ask Oh, <laughs> well first, I like kind of forgot, oh, were you pressured to dish or oh, like do oh, celebrity gossip? But yeah. then I asked like, did you go through all your Thank journals? Thank you, I yeah. went through all my journals. I didn't really feel um, pressured to dish, although I have so many better stories. I could, you realize that, like when people say, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, uh, Raggedy Ann? Like you only think of like the first one you saw as a kid or something, you know, I just, yeah. you think of whatever. So I was, I just couldn't think of, anything except for horrible things I had done to celebrities by accident. There are a lot of interesting stories. In I know, people are like, why should you talk you about did? biting people? I'm like, <laughs> it really was like a blight on me. It was like something I really did out of impulse control yeah. problems mm -hmm. and, and the Bacchic yeah. um, ritual I partook yeah, in a there, lot. There are some interesting biting stories. My impulses were not always correct. I didn't do anything horribly dangerous, but I did. I have TMJ, you see, and so a bite, no, I'm just joking, I'm blaming it on my physical thing. <laughs> um, so I did, I bit people because I'm awkward. Yeah, and one person did bite back, um, but you have to read the book to find yeah. out who Thank it was. Thank you, oh look at you, you're good at this. <laughs> I give the cow away for, for the milk away for free. Um, you're good, leave them hanging. Yeah, ooh, no you ooh. must. You must read um, to find out, yeah. Yeah, no, so there are little things, but no, and I was surprised in the little things I said about celebrities, like, wasn't picked up, and the one thing was, like, 
the teacher at the school and then the mm. police are calling me after oh, the book really? and I'm home okay. by the school like burying my mom yeah. when that came out like the people thing and mm. I was like ooh I didn't see this coming like it was so far back yeah. in my past yeah. that I just didn't like in the school did the responsible thing and they investigated didn't return <laughs> didn't return the call that's my second book but the um, <laughs> it was no I actually was really lucky I didn't have pressure for anything, which was amazing. Um, other than, but the night before I did, I was like, this goes to print tomorrow, like tomorrow? I thought like the editor would come, we'd work, we'd have like, like I wrote it and then literally like a pencil the night before and they had like the page count ready and everything, you know, like yeah, yeah. there's things that people do, publishers, and I'm like, oh, mm -mm. the night before I pulled an all-nighter. Oh wow. And just like scratch, scribble, pencil, pencil, you know, and FedExed it and they're like, you changed the whole, Whole book. Um, wow. Yeah, I had a, I had like a moment of, my mom's not here. I think I was waiting for my mom to come and edit my book, mm -hmm. and I saw a journal entry that I had left out on the table when I was like twelve, and every line is crossed out, and my mother's beautiful cursive and shorthand and everything is like getting rid of all the extraneous gobbledygook, all the flats, flotsam, and she just tightened up that journal. <laughs> She, it, there was so much about liking this boy, and then she just like came yeah, in. And she's like, like, "You do not need to tell us you like the boy. We know you like the boy you're writing. Just tell us what he was wearing. We'll get the idea." I'm like, "It's my journal," but she really did. She's yeah. like, "This is no, you know." And um, you know, when she saw I was like really an isolated kid, she's like, "You should read May Sarton," and it was like Journals of a Solitude, yeah, and I was like, I "So love I've, that book so much, yeah. right?" Yeah, it was. But then if I like tea, she's like, "Oh, Barbara Pym." <laughs> you know, it's all about tea and scones and everything. Like, everything had to have a companion piece for mm. my personality. So, so we're really, you know, yeah. I didn't, um, but it was, it was just the book. Like, I just was, it was just very earnest. But, and, but I feel like, so I went through all my journals um, oh. to, for, to write the collective schizophrenia. I found it super traumatizing. I found it traumatizing, have, okay, too. Okay, you did? Okay. So oh, no, I like? want yeah, it. I'm like, can those. I now burn these? But I'm like, am I supposed to keep on to them? But then when I die, my son just has to throw them away. It's not like they're going to be worth money. But in case he doesn't make anything, not a motivated child. He <laughs> might have to sell my stuff. Do I keep it? Does someone care? I, like, I, you know, I worry about these things. Mm -hmm, and yeah. I'm not a hoarder. I want it to be gone. I yeah. want everything to be gone. But the Selma Blair collection might require yeah, right? these the journals. The museum you know, that's yeah. being built. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, your son is But it was. It was that. traumatic for me. And I didn't like looking at I didn't love my teenage years. Mm -hmm. And I... Reading some of them was like the first time because I think I was probably in a blackout for a few entries. And mm -hmm. I was like, ooh, that's good. I have no recollection of writing that, maybe. But, um, and drawings, a lot of drawings mm -hmm. I made. And um, yeah, it was very, they were very childlike, which was spooky because they were so grown up in the suffering. Mm -hmm. And always my mom would then see the journal and go, what do you have to suffer about? <laughs> So, yeah, she's she, dead. Yeah, did you? I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me to think of your mom going through your journals and, like, correcting them. Well, I left him out. She was not a snooper. Yeah, she was okay. not a snooper, not a hovering mom at all, hence okay. drunk. <laughs> like, okay, every day. Okay. had no idea. So you left them out on purpose to be... No, like, they weren't personal, personal. I'd yeah. share anything okay. with her, but, like, maybe it was secret editing. Like, I was like, this just feels... Bleh. You know, and she'd punch it up. But I'd only leave, like, certain things out, yeah, not okay. the secret yeah. stuff. Okay, but like just crushes and stuff, okay, yeah. you know, like that. Well, do you feel like you were communicating with her? That was my yeah. attempt because yeah. she did not, one, like affection. Mm -hmm. She didn't approve of me if I didn't have like 
a proper lipstick, even at a young age, or my nails. I mean, it really was appearances matter. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that was my love language, um, other than being critical. Mm -hmm. You know, hyper, hypercritical, both of us. Mm -hmm. And and uh, it was my love language, and that was the time we spent together. That was really the only time she really paid attention to me was as she was editing, and when I was like 10, she's like, oh no, Selma, you will marry, she had a cigarette and wine, you will marry a man, an oil man's yacht is where you'll live. <laughs> she wasn't psychic. <laughs> and, um, and she would say, and you'll be a model, again, 5'4". And um, so I didn't tell her when I, yay! (laughs) I didn't tell her when I got my period because it meant I was going to stop growing, Uh she told me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, she'll stop loving me if she knows I won't be tall enough to be a model and then snag an oil man because short girls, short Jews from the Midwest don't snag an oil man. And I was like, (laughs) oh God, I'm short. And so she just said, well, then maybe you're right, but don't, you better do it before I die, Selma, because I need to edit you. And so I never thought I'd write a book once she was dead. I didn't have her to edit me. And um, wow. yeah, I'm sorry, it's my mom's fault if you think it <laughs> rambles. Yeah. Um, oh God, I had a question. I got oh, no, you. Okay, so no, you talked about how your mom said you were going to marry an oil man, how she wasn't psychic. But psychics and mystics and astrologers are and a all, big They're thing. all through the book and they, they reoccur. And some people were kind of accurate, spookily accurate, and some aren't. And I. I did wonder, um, what is your relationship now to mystics and those sorts of things? Do you, do you still go yes, and look to them? Yes, you know, someone introduced me to a numerologist mm-hmm. that I started getting cozy with on the phone, um, asking questions whenever there's a thing. I'm like, oh God, I'm really scared today. I've only done it like twice. Don't worry, I'm not living my life by like, okay, my apartment <laughs> says 82. Is that a, you know, auspicious number? Do I sell it? Do I burn it? No, it's um, like, because people go really hardcore. Yes. Um, I don't. I just use it kind of as a, like a like a fun frame of reference. It's mm. like something will be sparked that feels like a truth to mm. hold on to. And I was looking for anything. Mm. Um, my mom would laugh at that. Like not laugh, like scorn. Mm-hmm. Um, a scorn. That's laugh. so common, Selma. That's so common. I'm like, yeah, it's common for a reason. It's in the newspaper like every day. Your astrology, like people dig it, mom. Um, and she was like, a, like, but I do, I do still check in with people because I figure they know more than I do, and maybe they see something. Maybe I'll get great news. And I was really always hoping for good news, like they're gonna say, like you know, your life is gonna be perfect. The shit you feel it's gone by the third moon and what you know. So I was looking for like kind of the receipts of my life, and mm. I don't know how I feel about that, um, but I will still use it ish. Mm-hmm. I'll check in. Yeah. I don't do it a lot. I don't, I don't, like, I'm, she protests too much. I'm like, I, <laughs> um, I like it. I like it, yeah. but I've had, like, everyone's, like, real spooky with me, and then I realize, oh, it's just because they want more money to, like, fix it then. <laughs> not Tonda, not, like, the good ones that yeah. I talk about, but, yeah. That, do yeah. you, do you take any stock in it? Uh, I, I think I did most when I was very sick, which is yeah. interesting, because I think, like, because the way you describe how you interact with that, it, it may, reminds me a lot of what people look to religion for. Yeah. And if you're not particularly religious or adhere to any one religion, you might look to, to that kind of spirituality or mysticism. And I definitely did that yes. when I was very sick. Like yes. I was really just like trying to hold on to anything to give my life shape or to like t- let me know that my life wasn't completely out of control. What was the biggest reassurance for um, you? It, it was just like feeling like there was something like 
you know, tying a ribbon around my ankle to like keep me close to the grounded mm -hmm. um, so that I wouldn't float away into psychosis or like that, you know, if I like lit this candle for this many days, then like maybe I would feel better. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I started feeling better, um, yeah, I didn't lean. And then as you abandoned it. Well, I don't. I didn't That's, abandon it completely, no, right. but I, but I, it, I definitely loosened yes. my grip on that. I mean, stuff. we always do that. Though. Yeah. You know, we don't know until we know, and you usually know because something hurts bad enough, and then you go searching. Yeah, exactly. And because life does take a village, and we don't really have a village unless it's like a yeah an out there village or book village. You know, we'll search from our elders, which will be an astrology. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Um, to, to kind of turn to another yeah. thing, like, so the book is called Mean Baby, and the identity that you have as a so-called mean baby is a thread that, like, goes mm -hmm. through the book. Um, and I was wondering uh, or thinking about how this thread, like, came up. Like, as you were writing, how did you realize this was right. what was going to be the shape of your book? I had no idea I'd call it Mean Baby until I said, oh, my God, it should be Mean Baby. But um, that was after. It was... I was always, but that was my identity. That was my identity in school. All I wanted, really all I wanted, there were two things I wanted as a kid, um, other than a horse, so that's three. Two things, I wanted to spend my life in a bookstore. Mm -hmm. Really, I was like, if I could just spend every minute in a bookstore reading, 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 and that was since I was little. I genuinely, and my sister's like, that's bull, you're kissing someone. Like as a little kid, I was like, no, that's what I want. And she, and, what was the other thing I wanted? Oh, and I wanted to be called sweet. I'd oh. never been called sweet, yeah. ever. No one said, oh, that's just, and my mom later nicknamed me Saint, but I think she was being funny. Mm -hmm. So um, Mean Baby was the first story I'd heard about myself when I was mm -hmm. little. And whenever I'd do something, like I'd get lost and some old lady would ask me, well, you know, at three, like, are you lost? And I'd be like, shut up and get out of here. Like I was very, nervous about people and it came out as can a lot you know as really like antagonistic mm -hmm. like just such a fear and so I was called mean baby like all the time and the, and the kids that came over don't go over there it's a mean baby because I you know had a glower and I mean who doesn't really I mean we, <laughs> well, we all they, kind of yeah, do but it, it just stuck with me now yeah yeah it just stuck with me, and, and then it became a joke, and then I think I fed into it because I'm like a performer, a performative person, and so mean baby, like I kind of heightened, so then I became the mean drunk baby, and then I became, you know, the mean drunk sick baby, and it just became like this story, but it was because that's what people were saying, just like people were saying I was crazy, so I didn't, have, I didn't trust myself mm -hmm. anymore. Because I thought, well, they must see something. I'm, I'm scary and not reliable, even though I really wasn't. And until I did something in my older years that made people think I was scary and unreliable by having, you know, like kind of a little psychotic episode on a plane um, while really, really, really malnourished and hungover and sick with MS and like a million things that I didn't realize, lack of sleep, you know, that are a much bigger part of the story than just like, oh, she was drunk. I wasn't drinking on a plane. Mm -hmm. There was no drinking on the actual plane. It was really stuck in me. It was really embedded there, the week's drinking. So it was, it was like all those things that I'd see about myself, that's the only things I'd believe. I'd never believe the good stuff. What is your relationship to that now, like that, that identity? <sighs> yeah, I'm definitely not a mean baby, but I will delight in pretending to be because it's like a lot of showmanship can go into being like a ridiculous kind of like one-upper. But... Um, 
I'm not purposely mean at all. It was just owning, like how some people will say kind of offensive things about themselves to like own it, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, the crazy thing or whatever. That's just what people said that are just like, that's all wrong. But mean baby just, mean baby, yeah, I kind of own it. It's kind of good because then people are pleasantly surprised maybe <laughs> when they're like, oh, I think of other words for her. Maybe. <laughs> Have you been called sweet yet? Yes. How did it happen? Um, you know, it was actually, it, it was on Instagram. It was on Instagram. And, and now people say it a lot more because I am like a little overly friendly. Mm -hmm. And I am like definitely a Labrador retriever person. But then I can't wait to get away from people because it's exhausting being so animated and friendly, even though I can't do otherwise. So it's like, yeah. Bye. Get right in my journal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I saw you yeah. this morning and I'm like, I can't believe it. I'm so excited. And I like hug you and then I'm like, oh, she's probably cold and doesn't want like your cold touch. And I'll see she's trying to oh. eat and no, I, was like, like, I love you. Oh, you're so hug. cute. How do you get so cute? I mean, like really like that is not how grown-ups would talk. And then I get embarrassed and I judge. She really didn't act like a little gnome like she was just saying. Like, no, that wasn't like that was a different. Yeah, that was a that different, was a different yeah, perception. That was a different Thank perception. Yeah. Thank just, you. Just to let you know. Okay, was, good. Because yeah. I was like, ooh, you know, I bet. And then I and then I retreat. Like, no, I gotta go. And I was like, I got the best hug this morning, and so that was my that was. My Thank feeling. you. No, so, I loved so it too. It's interesting to have this kind of like inner perception of. How yeah, I still have going. my self-critical thing. Yeah. It might not be like fully accurate, yeah. or it might be a little wayward, yeah. and I should. Like she wasn't like Cookie Monster. This right. Was, yeah. Yeah, I just the playback might have been misleading them. Yeah, or like you know, I was invited to a. Thing, and then I was te uh, texting about it and I was like, yeah, like it's going to be fun, I guess. And then I'll go home and rehash everything I said and worry about whether I did anything. Do you still do that offensive. as a grown up? Yeah, I do it all the time. Like, oh. Even with like my close friends, like I'll, I'll worry about that. I can't I'll, do I'll just it. like endlessly rehash. It'll take all I night. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> but it's a lot easier now that I don't drink. Like, the drinking thing puts a real wrench in the memory recall, the rehashing of the night. You know, yeah. when people are like, let's talk about last night. I'm like, well, let's not. Let's not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, it, it, the, yeah, I don't want to hear what people think about me anymore. Yeah. That's like a scary place. So I don't think about anything other than that I'm Cookie Monster. But that's why I don't see people anymore. Okay, so I did notice the lights dimming. I know, bit, I guess I that's our that's cute. Like an or they're thing. serving dinner. So, <laughs> thank okay. you so thank much. Thank you all so much. Thank and you. thank you for listening to us. That was Selma Blair and Esme Weijin Wong and Selma's Dog Scout discussing Selma's memoir, Mean Baby, in front of a live audience at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall as part of the Portland Book Festival on Saturday, November 5th, 2022. This has been Literary Arts, The Archive Project. It's a retrospective of some of the most engaging talks from the world's best writers for more than 35 years of literary arts in Portland. The Archive Project is produced in collaboration with Oregon Public Broadcasting. To hear more, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our executive producer is Andrew Proctor. 
The show is produced by Crystal Liguori and Donald Orr for Radio and Podcast, with oversight by Amanda Bullock and support from Liz Olofsson and Alberto Swem. Special thanks to literary arts marketing staff Joe T. Roy and Hope Levy, and to the entire literary arts staff, board, and community. This show would not be possible without them. Thanks also to the band Emancipator for our theme music, and thank you to all of you for listening. I'm Amanda Bullock, and this has been another episode of the Archive Project from Literary Arts. Join us next time and find your story here. Here.